You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Well, good morning. It's been my privilege last week and this week to move you along in this series on Romans 12 through 16. I just had a moment of intense panic, and I so appreciate you guys in the sound booth. I was going to turn on my microphone after the singing, and to my horror, it was already on. (laughs) Thank you for turning it down. It would have been probably about half the audience that you have right now. Last week, I talked, uh, and for the last few weeks, you have been studying Romans 12, and I talked Romans 12, 1 through 2 is what I was teaching on, and it is the response to God's mercy. It is a counterintuitive decision. Paul says, in view of God's mercies, and he's speaking of the mercies of God for 11 chapters in the book of Romans the justifying mercies of God, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, that we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Uh, The sanctifying mercies of God, Romans 5 through the first part of chapter 8, that when we believe, when we trust in Jesus Christ as the one who made payment for our sin, not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, we we are delivered from the power of sin, and we no longer have to sin. We are new creations in Christ. And he does this constitutional change on the inside so we're able to live lives only explained by his presence and power in our lives. And then in the last part of Romans 8, there are the glorifying mercies of God that we will be with Christ forever in his kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And so in Romans 12, he says, now here's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to be a part of a special community of believers, these are people who are already believers. By the way, everything I say from this point forward is for those who are already Christians. If you're not yet a Christian, if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you don't even know what a Christian is, I have great news. It's called good news. It's as good as the good news gets, and it is this, that God gives eternal life freely to all who believe. Then you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are delivered from the penalty and the power and someday even the presence of sin. So there is this counterintuitive decision that uh, I want to control my life. I want to be the one who decides what I'm going to do next. And instead of making that my life trajectory, I'm going to put myself on a different trajectory by God's grace, and I am going to say, because it just makes sense, he uses the word logikane, a reasonable spirit, a a reasonable worship. Uh, I, because there's nothing I could do better with my life than, than live it for you, then here it is. Here it is, Lord Jesus, do whatever you want to do with my life. I give my life to you in response to your mercies. And we become a part of this special community of Christians that God is going to use to change the world. All Christians go to heaven. There are those Christians who say, I want it all. 
I'm all in. I want you to use me. I want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. I want to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And in chapters 12 through 16, that is the audience that he is speaking to. Paul wanted to arrive in Rome, the strategic place, where there would be a group of believers who have said, in response to God's mercies, I give you my life. Okay, Paul, let's go. Let's get with it. But before I talk about that, I want to pray for you. If you don't mind, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being together with this special community of believers, Open Door Fellowship. And I want to thank you, Father, for this truth. In the 21 years that I pastored church at the Open Door, we had our ups and our downs, our, da- our fears, our doubts, our victories, our times that we ran out of money, our times when we didn't think we could make it another day, our times when we were worried about our church, our times when we weren't getting along, our times when things were going smoothly. And the one thing that I am persuaded of is that there is someone who loves Church of the Open Door and there is someone who loves Open Door Fellowship even more than anybody in this room. His name is Jesus. He loves this church and he will nurture her and protect her and grow her and beautify her. We pray that we would all believe this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we give our life to God in this way, it would just make sense that we would ask, he would ask us to follow his son who gave his life away to others. And he will ask us to live selflessly in the church and in the world. That's what it's about from 12 through 16. It's all about living selflessly, living according to God's agenda for my life and not my own agenda. And he begins by saying to each and every Christian, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to discern and use your spiritual gifts. We believe in the church that there is a giftedness given to every believer. It is a spiritual capacity that is only for believers. They're called the, the, it happened when Jesus ascended to the Father. He was able to give gifts to those who were his. It had never happened before. And the Bible says, whether you've ever heard this or not, this is even better news. Here's the thing about the good news of the gospel, isn't it? The more you read about it, the better the news becomes. And that is that we have been given special gifts, supernatural gifts, that do what we could never do before, and that is to serve one another together. I want to read Romans 12, 3 through 8. That is the passage. And I want you to understand that there are three passages. There are three passages on spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12, Romans, I mean 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And they all have pretty much the same thrust, and that is that we are to do these things together, and we are to do them in a way that is unified. And we would do it in such a way that it isn't building up our reputation. It's not building up our own esteem. It is building the body of Christ, which is called the church. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And it's all by grace 
through faith. I want you to notice. Remember, faith means trust. Faith means trust. I want you to notice as I read through 12, 3 through 8, uh, how many times the repetition of the words grace and faith. So this is Paul saying, beginning the discussion of how it is God will use us. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment, as God has distributed to each of you. Each of you. If you're in Christ, each of you. God has distributed spiritual gifts to each of you and to me, a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, he uses this picture in 1 Corinthians 12 too, doesn't he? The, the body of Christ. So if one part of the body, of the body we, it needs all the other parts. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us, if the gift of prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. Now, the way this reads, in proportion to his faith, is a part of that sentence that is assumed to be read, that it's assumed to apply to all of the rest of the gifts. Rather than reporting it, I mean, rather than repeating it, he just wants us to understand that we are using these grace, these gifts given to us by grace in proportion to our faith. If it is service, he must serve. It, if, if it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing or giving, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing, is it okay if I say he or she? Yeah, this, this, they use he because that's the pronoun. But as far as I can tell, giftedness has no gender to it. Um, he, he or she must do so with cheerfulness. I mean, that's my understanding of the pronoun used in the New Testament. So this is all about spiritual gifts. Here's what I want to do. I want to put this in context. Um, if uh, when the leaders of Open Door Fellowship would have called me and said, hey, could you do a series on spiritual gifts? I would have said, yeah, sure. It'll be probably three to six weeks. And I would have taught on spiritual gifts. But this is a series on Romans. Here's what you need to understand and I need to understand about the lists of gifts in Romans 12, 
1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. None of those lists are about the gifts. He just names them. He goes, hey, here's, here's some, boom, 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 boom. Here's some more. The ascension gifts in Ephesians 4 are a little bit different. Seem to be gifted leaders given to the church. But he never says, I'm going to list all the gifts and I'm going to explain them perfectly. It's always for the same purpose. There are a lot of gifts. They're all operating. You all have some and let's do them together. So what I would like to do is I would like to put this in context. Spiritual gifts in 12, 9 and following, he talks about loving one another, about loving one another. And I want to connect for you why it is that the first thing he, first thing he says after talking about spiritual gifts, is that we love one another. And I want you, rather than thinking about spiritual gifts, to think about the word measurement. Think about the word measurement. Now, if I was going to teach on spiritual gifts, I would teach, but I would come to this conclusion, so I'll let you know beforehand what I think about spiritual gifts. And if you want to argue with me afterwards, I don't have a lot of time but we can argue. <laughs> spiritual gifts, every time they're listed, they're not the point. Here's what I believe about spiritual gifts. I believe that they're, they're purpose-centered, not person-centered. That they're purpose-centered, not person-centered. has to do with what God is accomplishing in the local church and in the world. And that he is the God of the gifts and he gives them according to his purposes, not the person. I personally do not believe that the gifts, the list of gifts are exhaustive, meaning I don't think these are all the gifts. I think there are probably lots of other gifts that aren't listed here because Paul just goes, there's, there's this one, that one, that one, and then there's this one, and that one, that one, and the other list. The two lists don't go together. I mean, they, they sometimes go together, sometimes they don't. So I don't think they're exhaustive. One of the things I always say about that is, since we don't know all the gifts, there are probably a lot of gifts that are, that are given by the Holy Spirit that are being exercised in this body right now, and they might be the healthiest gifts because since they're not named, we can't argue over them. <laughs> I also think that they're dynamic. They're not static. That by that I mean that I know that I have the gift of teaching, that's very clear to me, and I know that I have the gift of leadership and exhortation. Those seem to be, but I've also noticed that as I move from body of Christ to body of Christ, from situation to situation, that sometimes God will gift me in a way that surprises me. And um, so I think they're dynamic. The most important about gifts is that I'm going to tell you why you should expect to be used by God and why you can do what, you're, what he's asking you to do and what he's gifted you to do. And it all has to do with the word measurement, with the word measurement. Here's 
um, the first measurement I want you to look at, and that is in 12.3. 12.3. And we'll look at this in detail. For I say, through the grace given to me, remember what I said last time about the passive voice? It means something that God does for me. So I don't, when I become a Christian, I don't say, God, I need a spiritual gift. That the grace given to me, God just gives me this gift. Um, he had the gift of apostleship. But think about how he found out he had the gift of apostleship. It came through service. We think of him as the apostle to the Gentiles, don't we? We think that was his gift. Let me just give you a little bit of Paul's history. He was converted on the road, uh, uh, on the road to Damascus. He had three years of ministry in and around Damascus, we know from Acts and Galatians. He was kicked out of Damascus. That always makes me feel good, having been kicked out of a couple of places. <laughs> to minister to Hellenistic Jews, or Jews that had a tendency towards wanting to live a Greek type of life in Jerusalem. So right there you would say, oh, well, he's the, the, you know, the apostle to the Hellenized Jews. No, that only lasted two weeks. Then he got kicked out again. Um, with much suffering and trial, um, he goes through this long period of time, and then we find him, he's like the pastor of discipleship to Barnabas. Barnabas is the main guy in Antioch, and that's for a whole year. He's one of two teachers with this other guy up in Antioch. And then 14 years after his conversion, he returned to Jerusalem with Barnabas before being sent out by the church at Antioch with Barnabas on his first missionary journey, returning as the leader. And after all of this, he was known with certainty as the apostle to the Gentiles. You see, that's the way we need... How do I discover my spiritual gift. I discover my spiritual gift by doing. Someone comes in and said, comes to your door and says, yeah, I'm here. I'm spiritually gifted. This might be the best day of Church of the Open Doors life. I'm here today. I have the gift of teaching. I need a class. <laughs> yeah, right. I just want you to get started in doing and let's see what God does and how he leads you. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, and notice this, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This isn't faith that comes from within me. This is God has given me this measure of faith, this measure of grace. The word there is merizo. It means to be measured out. So we have this picture of God. Here's the body of believers. Here's what God wants to do. And God the Holy Spirit is pouring out this giftedness on these believers, not because somebody demanded it, but because this is what needs to happen for the local church to accomplish its mission. So we'll be thinking about measurement, not just spiritual gifts. 
Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts differing, notice the word differing, I'm going to talk about that, according to the grace that is given to us. A capacity given to each Christian, just like Paul. Let us use them. This is why in the 21 years of Church of Open Door, I have resisted. those. Now, if you like spiritual gifts inventories, you've got a lot of things to argue about after a church, I guess, maybe. But I just resisted that because people do these spiritual gift inventories. You go, hey, we need somebody over here. That's not my spiritual gift. Can't do that. It's not my spiritual gift. Get going. Do something. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion. The word is analogian. A proportion, once again, carefully measured out to our faith. So you have this picture of God measuring out these spiritual gifts to the body of believers as we grow in Christ so that we can accomplish what needs to be accomplished for the sake of Christ. So here's how I would define spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a supernatural capacity to be gifted to serve Christ, discovered by serving in community. That's how it happens. Some of the, the, some of the women and men from Church of the Open Door that are being used most powerfully by God are those who, when they first came to Church of the Open Door, if someone would have said, now God's going to do great things for that guy, I would have said, mm, not really. It's typically surprising. I remember telling my Jesus, movement, my Jesus Movement pastor telling me, he said, don't make up your mind about people when they first come to church. Because a lot of the people that you think are going to be the world changers for Christ are not going to do much. And a lot of the people who you don't even notice are going to do great things for Christ. And I couldn't help but ask the question, well, Ted, what did you think of me? When I, when I first came to Fruitvale Community Church, he said, well, Ed, I thought you were a little flaky. <laughs> but the connection, the connection of 12, 3 through 8, and where John will start next week and 12, 9, where you're told to love one another. This is hard. Differing gifts coming from people with differing brokenness expressed in the pressure cooker of satanic oppression in a world that is dark. Just read sometime in Acts 26 when Paul re remembers his commission um, from Jesus Christ. I'm going to be using you to turn people from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God by faith in me. It is a big deal when somebody comes to Christ and it is absolutely anti-cultural and it is therefore difficult. 
And in my experience, this is just, I'm a Jesus movement guy, so in my experience, churches just can be a little weird. I can remember, my experience was, I was my, in leadership. My experience in leadership, I was a fireman. I was a fireman for the U.S. Forest Service. So you drive up in the crew truck or that helicopter lands, and you have a theory on how to fight this fire. Uh, the, the fire will let you know if your theory is correct or not. But in churches, how do you measure this? And then I was an army officer. I was the adjutant of a tank battalion. We were at staff meetings. We would discuss a hundred things in an hour and a half and make big decisions. And then suddenly, I'm leading churches where we can't buy a vacuum cleaner without four weeks of <laughs> meetings. Remember when I first went to church at the open door? We, uh, where the board meeting is, right across was, and I don't know, hopefully it doesn't get too real for you, but right across from that was the men's restroom. And church opened door, the buildings were old and broken down. They'd been there since 1940. And the urinal in that, it was, I mean, it was, just, it, was, it, was, it was just gross. In fact, I used to always think, I wonder if I could make it another hour without having to go to that <laughs> urinal. So anyway, we'd say, okay, we're going to take a break, and the guys would go to the urinal, and then they would come back. And someone would say, man, that urinal is a mess. We got to do something about it. I got a brother-in-law who lives in Covina. He might be able to help and just go on and on and on, and I'm just like, beam me up, Scotty. This is a <laughs> urinal. <laughs> Finally, at Church of the Open Door, the staff... Uh, Staff, uh, the, the lead pastor is, is an elder, but we don't vote, and we, neither do we make motions. That's only with the other elders. And I just said to the guys, I said, um, I know I'm not supposed to make any motions, but I want to make a motion. They look at me like, what? And I go, okay. And I said, well, I move we either do something about that urinal or never talk about it again. Two weeks later, it was fixed. <laughs> we also have differing gifts. All you got to do is look at the list. And now you need a little experience. These gifts are all really important, but they often collide. So I have the gift of leadership and, and, and exhortation. And I have ideas, and I like moving quickly. But there are other people who have this gift called administration. <laughs> I can almost anticipate what they're going to say before they say it. And when they do, it can drive me nuts. There are also these people who have the gift of helps. You know, these are the guys with the ring, you know, they have the thing with all the rings from the church in there. And they'd live frustrated because none of the rest of us even care about what they have to do. We just want it to work. 
People with the gift of mercy think other people don't care. So it is entirely possible for these gifts, if we don't love one another, it can really, really get messy. That's why I want you to think about measurement. Measurement. We've seen that there is a measure of grace. God measures out the grace needed in the body of Christ in each individual Christian and the measure of faith. So the measure of the grace and the measure of the faith from Romans 12, 3 through 8, tells you that it isn't true that you can't do what you're being asked to do. Because it is not up to you. It is God who's given you the grace and faith. But there's another measure. And that's the S word. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> the S word is a word that Christians even like less than the S word you're thinking of. It's called suffering. That's another measurement. This is amazing. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of thunder, these very sensitive disciples. Whoops. Jesus says, I just want to let you know, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, I'm going to be crucified. That's what's coming next. And James and John's response to that is, just real, real small request, Lord, just a little question here, very small question, just want to let you know, since none of the other guys are around, we would just ask you if we could be the greatest in your kingdom. That's a very simple request. Now here's what I heard about this over and over again. How dare they? Right after Jesus tells them he's going to die. The only thing they think about is being great in his kingdom. How insensitive, what a bodacious request. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And they go, well, before, you, before that happens, could... One of us sit on the left and one of us sit on the right. But read it carefully. Jesus doesn't say, I cannot believe that you asked me that. You know what he says? You know what you're asking for? You have any idea, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Christian, when you devote yourself to Christ, do you have any idea what you're asking for? 12, verse 36. I'm not sorry, chapter 10, verse 36. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? They said to him, we are able 
Then Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I experience. But to say to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give, it is for them for whom it has been prepared. In other words, that might not be the measure of your grace and faith. But whatever the measure of your grace and faith, there is a corresponding measure of suffering. Remember what Jesus said to the Father in the garden? Could this cup pass from me? It's used as a figure of speech. Baptism might have been identifying with the baptism of John, but in Job and Psalms, the same word baptizo in the Septuagint is used to describe intense suffering, a suffering that we feel like if you ever had an older brother or somebody who held you down underwater and you felt like you couldn't breathe, that's the figure of speech he's using here. He said, there are going to be times when what you're doing for me to be great in my kingdom, what you're doing to me and be devoted to Jesus Christ is going to take your breath away. There is a measure of grace and there is a measure of faith that tells each and every Christian it isn't true that you can't do what Jesus is asking you to do. But there is a measurement of suffering that tells you this is a broken world. This is the kingdom of God erupting that doesn't come easily. There will be suffering involved. Have you, count, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? Another fascinating passage to me is Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians, if you turn Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. This is where Paul says, I rejoice in sufferings. He rejoiced in his sufferings. He will go on to say, I'm the one who has been privileged to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to teach the mysteries of God that the angels have been looking at and say, what the heck's going on here? I get to do that. But look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my physical body for the sake of his body, the church. Please let me read that again. And fill up in my physical body for the sake of his body, the church. If you've been going to church more than six months, you know that going to church can be hard. Why is it so hard? Well, because there are mean Christians, because there are broken Christians, because there are hurting people. What I always say is, Probably one of the main reasons Church of the Open Door is hard is because I'm there. One of the main reasons doing things together here is hard is because you're here. Not the person sitting next to you, it's you, it's me, it's all of us. We're broken. We're remade on the inside. We are glory, we, we are we, we are new in Christ, but it's working out in the messiness of community. And then he says, um, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? There's nothing lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Didn't, Jesus didn't almost die 
enough so that we get to go to heaven. He's not talking about forensically. He's not talking about paying the price for our salvation. Paul is saying, and this is what I believe he's saying, that for this church age to accomplish its mission in this broken and dark world, there's going to be suffering. And it is those who are devoted to Christ, who are living out of who they are in Christ, who are doing things that could only be explained by the presence and the power of Christ, it's those who are probably, who are, not probably, experiencing the most suffering. He is letting us know that for all this to happen, there will be pain. It seems to be, once again, a finite measure. Jesus said the cup of suffering. This is a cup. You can only, it has, you can only put so much in it. It's finite. The wonderful, messy, glorious church erupts and grows as wonderfully messy, glorious, new in Christ Christians work together in community. Uh, this is why I believe that the very next thing Paul will say to the Romans is, you've got to love one another. If we don't love one another, this can't happen. It's too hard. So I think about, I brought this cup. This is my favorite cup for a number of reasons. It's got this in Israel that says Aroma Expresso Bar in Hebrew. I love being able to say that. It also brings a little shame because it's the only Hebrew I can still read after taking three years of Hebrew 30 years ago. This is my cup. You have one just like it. And I look in that cup and I say, wow. My life, I'm 68, this is my life. Man, look at that. I got to fight fire and learn lessons on leadership. I didn't last very long, Lord, that excitement. Well, you got old. Oh, yeah, that's right. Then I got to be an army officer. I met this awesome lady named Judy, my Jesus movement sweetheart. We had these children and these grandchildren. In fact, the grandchildren look like the very best part of that cup. <laughs> By the way, I've had children and I've had grandchildren. I prefer grandchildren. Ah, <laughs> oh, I got to go to Dallas Seminary. Look at that, Dallas Seminary. Got to, Howard Hendricks took a personal interest in me. How did that happen? Wow, look at that. Oh, there's that, those eight years. We got to plant that church in Oregon. What are those, Lord? Those are the tears that you and Judy wept from Glide, Oregon to Glendora, California. Oh, yeah. What is that? That's what you learned. 
why you called this guy named Bruce McNichol. He said, I need help. Said, what happened? Ew, what's that ugly stuff over there? What is that? That's leukemia. Mm. It looks all bad. No, it's not. Ask your bride, ask your kids, ask your church. It took the rough edge off of your life. It made you nicer. In fact, Judy says to me, I listened to your sermons before cancer and I can't hardly stomach them. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? Ah, what, what is this here? Um, that's, that you never, you know you never fit in Christianity. Yeah, I know, I never did fit. And it brings back the memory after about seven years at church at the open door. A lady came to me and she said, I think I'm, I'm, I'm finally getting used to you. I'm thinking... Seven years? <laughs> what do you mean? She said, well, you're just so untamed. <laughs> I think, I'm thinking back. I think I always wore clothes in the pulpit, but I don't know. What is that? What is that going around there that will not mix? He said, those are those people with the gift of administration. You will never mix with them. What should I do? My son already told you. You love them, and they love you. See, Jesus never said, if you make a whole lot of disciples, the world will know that I am real. Jesus never said, if you get a lot of Twitter followers, the world will know that I am real. Jesus never said, if you build a lot of buildings, write a lot of books. Jesus said, if you love one another, this works in such a powerful, powerful way. People cannot help but conclude that I am real. Open door fellowship. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. You can do what Jesus is asking you to do. God, the Holy Spirit, has given you a measure of grace and the measure of faith. You can take the suffering because it is God the Father who has determined the suffering in your life and he will care for you. But for it all to work, you've got to love one another. Father, I thank you for the privilege